Well, I wonder as we continue on in Revelation, if anybody has yet got to the point where you're thinking, that's a lot of judgment. <laughs> it's a lot of wrath of God, and it certainly is. And I wonder if anybody has had this thought of, you know, I thought God was supposed to be a God of love. Why are we seeing so much punishment? Why are we seeing so much wrath here? And, um, you know, a couple of thoughts along those lines. You know, what we are seeing and we'll continue to see today, but what we've seen with the opening of the, the seals, and then it moves into, we'll get into the trumpets today. The trumpets uh, bring forth another uh, whole set of, of judgment. There's seven trumpets, and then you get into these seven bowls. I would contend that all of these are an expression of God's love in two different ways. And one of those is, let's remember that true love requires justice. I mean, let, let's say that you have a couple of sons and one of them just, you know, beats the other one to a pulp all the time. Now, I, I know if you got two boys, they're probably going to fight, right? I, I know that's going to be, but I'm talking about just really bad, you know, one of them's just really getting hurt and abused and it's just a terrible situation. Uh, would you really be a loving parent if you didn't deal with it? If you didn't step in at some point where there's really true damage being done uh, and punish the aggressor and protect the one who is being attacked. I mean, that's, that's what a loving parent would do, right? It's not because you are cruel that you're doing that. It's because, because love requires justice. And that's part of what we see in the book of Revelation. God, in his mercy, has held back uh, on a lot of these things for a really, really long time. And at some point, it's coming because our sinfulness requires that. But there's a bigger picture to this than just that, and that is that this is also an expression of God's love and that we see God turning up the heat in order to get people's attention to lead them toward repentance, to lead them toward coming back to Him. That's really what this is all about. And as it goes on, we see that it gets progressively more severe and again I, you know, I asked this question a couple of weeks ago but this is really something to think about especially if you find yourself in a place where quite honestly you know, you're, you're running from God maybe inwardly I know you're in church today but inwardly maybe you're running from God the question is this what is it going to take to get your attention to cause you to come back to him in a right relationship with God see God loves us enough to continue to turn up the heat until it gets our attention and causes us to turn back to him. And that's what we see continuing to happen in Revelation. So let's, let's continue on. Revelation chapter 8, starting in verse 1, says, When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it to the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. This passage begins by saying there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. The picture that we have of heaven so far is that it's anything but silent, right? 
I mean, the first few chapters of Revelation, uh, you go back to the great multitude in chapter 7 that we were in last week, says they were continually crying, and it says, in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Chapter 5, verse 13 says, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and the sea say to him, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And before that, in chapter 4, there were the four living creatures that surround the throne that never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Heaven is not a quiet place until they open the seventh seal. And now all of a sudden you go from all these shouts of praise and noise and God being glorified in a, in a loud way. And all of a sudden, there's silence for about half an hour. Silence makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? Especially in a setting where we're not used to it or in a setting where there are a lot of people around. Typically, if there's a large crowd that goes silent, it's because something dreadful has happened. I thought about last year, last football season, uh, when DeMar Hamlin from the Buffalo Bills you know, made a tackle, got up, had uh, suffered cardiac arrest, they found out later, but just dropped. I mean, just went down to the ground. And you have a stadium full of 70,000 fans who have been screaming up until that point, and it just goes completely silent until they cancel the game, postpone that, that game. When you have a crowd of 70,000 people in a football stadium who go silent, something really bad has happened. And when you have a crowd of millions in heaven who suddenly go silent, it's something dreadful. It's not good news. And we see what is about to happen in this hush just comes over all of heaven. It says that, that there were seven angels who were given seven trumpets. We'll see them sounding those trumpets here in a moment. But then there's an eighth angel who takes this censer. And, and once again, do you remember seeing this before in the book of Revelation where it talked about the prayers of the saints uh, coming up before God with the incense? And it's this really, really cool picture of incense being offered to God as an expression of worship. And somehow mixed with the smoke of the incense, the prayers of God's people are also rising up before God. And I just love that because to me that tells me that our prayers are not forgotten. Sometimes we may feel that they are. Uh, and, and I suspect this is all kinds of prayers. I mean, we could go back um, just a, a little bit earlier. I believe it was in chapter 6. With the opening of the fifth seal, do you remember the martyrs? says the souls of the martyrs who were under the, uh, the altar and they were crying out, how long until you avenge our blood? So that was part of the prayers. God, how long before uh, there is vengeance that comes and it's about to come? But it's not just those prayers. It's also your prayers, my prayers. I believe that God, uh, that those prayers don't go away. That those prayers are continually being offered up before the Lord. So at the same time that prayers and incense are rising up before God, judgment is coming down. And it brings thunder, lightning, and an earthquake. Let's keep reading. Verse 6. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. 
The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and springs of the water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day may be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. So this first trumpet unleashes hail and fire. We'll see a little bit later in um, chapter 16 when we get to the, the seventh of the, the bowls that there are going to be hailstones coming, 100-pound hailstones. This is likely not that severe yet, but as those of you who've been around here for a little while know, it doesn't take much for hail to do significant damage. When you go back to 2016 and Wiley was right in the middle of all that and people had massive holes. It looked like somebody taking a shotgun with big old shotgun pellets and just shot through the tops of people's roofs and the hail just did incredible damage. Hail is coming down and then it says that it's mixed with fire. I mean, just picture that. You've got hail, you've got fire and, and it says that a third of the earth was burned up in all the green grass. I'll let that sink in for a moment. A third of the earth being burned. We have seen recently through all of our droughts some devastation from wildfires in and around our area where we live. We have seen the images and heard the stories uh, in Maui and all the devastation that was caused there. But I, I want to put that in perspective a little bit as horrific as that was and tragic as that was and continues to be. For those residents of Maui, estimates are that there were 10 square miles of Maui that burned. The total area of Maui, 735 square miles. So that's about 1.5% of Maui that was burned. Now think about that for a moment. We're talking about 33% of the entire earth being burned up. I mean, can you just wrap your mind around how devastating that would be? And, and when it uses that little phrase, it says that there was hail and fire, and it says mixed with blood. That means there's going to be a lot of people die. That's part of the result of that, which obviously would be the case when a third of the earth is burned up. And then it goes on and it says, and all the green grass was destroyed. Now, as a grass guy who cares more than I should about how my lawn looks, this one bothers me, but not just because it's not about not having well-manicured lawns anymore, right? I mean, think about the impact on cattle and animals that feed off of the grass or off of the, the leaves of the trees. A third of the trees are gone. All the grass is gone. Just devastating impact. And then you move on to the second trumpet, and it says that there is a massive ball of fire, like a mountain on fire, that will be thrown into the sea, and it will be turned into blood. And who knows exactly what this will be, but it could be some type of asteroid or something like that that catches fire coming through the Earth's atmosphere. I mean, you, you can look into different asteroids that are out there. There are plenty of them that are larger than large mountains. Uh, there is one in particular, not quite that big, 
um, that is being watched at this point to make sure that uh, we don't have an issue at some point down the road with the Earth. It is called Asteroid 1950 DA. It's almost three-quarters of a mile in diameter. And in case you're worried about the potential impact, uh, scientists are watching this, and they think that there is a possible collision that could happen in 2880. So I think you're going to be okay on that. You don't have anything to worry about there. Uh, but, but this is a realistic you know, possibility just from things that we know. And then, of course, God can do what God wants to do on top of that. So this mountain will be, a, a fire will be thrown into the sea. It will, a third of it will become blood. A third of the creatures will die. A third of the ships. I mean, right now, there are today more than 50,000 ships in the ocean. I mean, think about 17,000 ships being destroyed in one catastrophic event. Think about a third of the, the creatures dying. A third of the sea becoming blood. I mean, the impact that that would have on so many different areas, even just on oxygen levels. Did you know we, we hear a lot about, you know, oxygen and trees and things like that. Did you know that half of the Earth's oxygen comes from plankton in the sea? So if a third of that is gone, I mean, just think about it. And a third of the trees are gone. Now think about the, the, the lack of oxygen. It might be difficult to breathe. And if you can finally catch a breath, then you get the stench of the blood and the, I mean, it's just, it's not good. Some serious, serious stuff here. The third trumpet says that there was a great star that fell from heaven like a blazing torch. Maybe some type of a meteorite or a comet of some sort like that. Uh, it turns a third of the fresh water bitter. Okay, so you guess the second plague was a plague on the seas or on the, the salt water. This is a third of the fresh water becomes bitter. That's what that word wormwood means. It means bitter. So now a third of the water is not drinkable. Maybe it's poisoned in some way. Let me share with you a fascinating story connected to this idea of wormwood here and turning things bitter. Uh, on April 26, 1986, uh, there were massive amounts of radioactive materials that were released into the air in Chernobyl, Ukraine. Uh, when they had a sudden power surge and it destroyed Unit 4 of their nuclear power plant there was a massive fire here's a picture from back in the day there I think that we have just you know what what devastation was caused uh, but the real issue was it it released all this radiation into the air according to the United States Nuclear Regulation Regulatory Commission 28 of the 600 workers on site who were exposed to the radioactive materials died within four months of this event another 106 suffered acute radiation sickness. But they also discovered later on that many of the children who lived in that area were drinking milk contaminated with radioactive iodine and it delivered unhealthy doses of radiation to their thyroid glands. Uh, they later discovered 6,000 children from that specific area with thyroid cancer. And who knows how many uh, undiagnosed cases there were. Um, but here's the part of the story that's so interesting. On July 26, 1986, exactly three months after the accident, a well-known Russian writer who happened to be an atheist pointed people to this passage in Revelation 8 that speaks of wormwood and the contamination or poisoning of the waters. He then turned to a dictionary to show the Ukrainian word for the bitter herb wormwood. And guess what it is? It's the word Chernobyl. 
the name of the city where this happened. Now, does that mean that this was the fulfillment of Revelation 8? No, probably not. But I also don't think it's a coincidence. It could be a picture pointing forward to um, what could happen and will happen on a much larger scale. Let's move on to the fourth trumpet. The fourth trumpet affects the amount of light coming to the earth. This is a third of the, of the sun, the moon, the stars, all of that goes away. Uh, I mean, just think about how we take light for granted, right? Think about just the, the, the way, do you ever stop and just consider the way the earth is designed? How miraculous it, it is that we're able to receive light, but we are just the right distance from the sun. If we were a little bit closer, the, the impact of the additional heat and melting glaciers and flooding entire cities and you know, creating uh, more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere and that would add to the heat. Or if we were a little further away, the opposite of that and the, the cooling effect and all. It's just remarkable to me to think how God positioned everything just exactly so. But one of those things is God gives us light and he gives us you know, the, the light during the day and night. Well, all of that's getting thrown upside down here. I mean, again, this, it's going to be an impact on um, the, the physical you know, ecosystem of not having a third of the sunlight. Think about how that will impact everything. But even psychologically, to be in darkness for a third of the time, not have the light of the sun or the stars, the moon. We have some good friends uh, who are missionaries, Mark and Sherilyn, Hargrave, some of you know that Mark was a member of our church for a while. But um, he's now in Alaska, and they serve as missionaries there. We had the chance to go visit them last summer in 2022. Uh, we were there when it was about 22 hours of daylight, but sometimes it's the other way around, where there's only just a, a few hours of light during the wintertime. And they were talking about the impact that that has and how uh, in Alaska that it's the highest um, substance abuse rates, highest suicide rates, mental illness, those kinds of things, all of that. And a lot of that is just the impact of darkness. You know, it, it, it messes with us. And uh, this is one of the, the uh, judgments that is to come. And then you get to the end of this chapter, and it says, I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice. Now, if you, if you haven't read what's leading up to Revelation 8, you might read that and say, what in the world? Why is there an eagle who's talking and crying out? Well, if you go back uh, a little bit earlier, you see that one of the living creatures in chapter 4 is described as being like an eagle in flight. So that's likely what we see here. And this, this living creature that surrounds the throne is like an eagle in, thright, in flight now cries out, woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Anytime you see that word, woe, you should think to yourself, woe. This is serious. Right, this is a big deal. What's about to happen? Man, let's read about it. Chapter 9. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star from heaven, star fallen from heaven to earth. He was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then the smoke came, from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions on the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. 
They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. Their hair like women's hair and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. So verse 1, fifth trumpet is sounded. It says that a star is fallen from heaven. Now, obviously, this is uh, not literally a star. This is um, a being uh, because it talks about this, this star being given the key to the abyss. Now, the real question is, who is this? Who is the star that has fallen from heaven who has given the key? And the answer is, this is Satan. I mean, what do we know about Satan? We know that Satan was created as an angel. And keep that in mind as we continue reading in the book of Revelation. There are angels as we tend to think of them, and then there are fallen angels. And, and all of them uh, factor into what we're reading about here. But all of us have heard that before, right? That Satan was an angel, he fell from, from heaven because he opposed God. I mean, is that really biblical? Do we, do we know that? Do we, what's the foundation for that? Let me share with you a couple of uh, I guess three different passages that would point toward that. One is when Jesus sent the 72 out to minister in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 10. They came back, verses 18 through 20, and they, were, or, or they came back and were telling him you know, all the things that had, that had happened. But listen to the response. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In other words, Jesus is saying, yes, it's wonderful that the demons were subject to you, but let me, let me take you back a lot further. I, let me go all the way back, and I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Jesus was there when this happened, and he said, don't get so hung up on that, and you miss what this is really all about. Ezekiel chapter 28, very interesting, and, and I would remind you that in the Old Testament prophets, a lot of times they would speak of something that had an immediate fulfillment, but was also pointing to something greater than what they maybe even realized at the time. But Ezekiel 28, 14 through 16, you were anointed guardian cherub, I placed you, you were on the holy mountain of God, in the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the days you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God and destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Twice in that passage, referred to as guardian cherub. Sure sounds a lot like a description of Satan being a high-ranking official that was thrown out of heaven. And then Isaiah 14 12 through 15 says, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. 
How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol to the far reaches of the pit. If you're reading the, the King James Version, that, that phrase day star is translated as Lucifer. That's where we get that name. Uh, it's, it's based on the, the Latin translation of this Hebrew word. Uh, but it refers to Satan as a star who has fallen. When Revelation 9.1 speaks about the star, it's pretty clear. He's talking about Satan. He's given the key to this abyss and this, this bottomless pit. And those are the same thing, by the way, if you hear that term abyss. This is a Greek word, abusos, means bottomless or endless. So that's where we get that term abyss. It's a bottomless pit. Uh, apparently, there are demons who are kept in this abyss or this bottomless pit until this very moment. That the worst of the worst of the demons, that's where they are being kept. Now, there are others who are on the loose now. That, that, that operate in the world that we live in, but there are some that are in this pit. And that coincides with what we see in Luke chapter 8 when Jesus uh, came across a, a man who was demon-possessed and he was about to drive this, and they talked about it. He said, what's your name? Do you remember this? And they said, our name is Legion because we're many. And they begged him not to send them into what? Into the abyss or into the pit. So they knew this. They knew that there existed this abyss where the worst of the worst of the demons are sent. And he begged them, they, they begged Jesus, send us into the pigs, which he did. Um, but this pit, it says, that, that Satan is given the key. And all of these demonic creatures that have been held in this pit for all this time, he has the key to open the abyss. And literally, literally all hell breaks loose. I mean, not figuratively, but literally. They, they just come out of this pit, out of this abyss, and they are given the power to torment those who do not have the seal of God, those who have not come to faith in Christ. They don't have the seal of God on their foreheads. Now, keep in mind, the church has been raptured, but there have been those that since that time have come to faith, and so they have been sealed with this seal. But those that don't have it, they can be tortured for five months. And the form of these demonic creatures, they take on the form of locusts. But these are no ordinary locusts because they don't go after any type of uh, green plant or trees or anything else. All they go after is people. And their goal is to torment people. And they're given this power to sting people with the, with the power of a scorpion. Anybody, I'm curious, anybody ever been stung by a scorpion? Have you? Yeah, that... Uh, I'm sure you could tell a story of, of what that's like. When I was about six or seven years old, we had just moved into uh, the house that my parents still live in, in Arlington. I remember very vividly being in the back room in the, in the laundry area on a summer day, no shoes on, and I'm walking along, and I don't realize I am just about to step on a scorpion, and my foot is in the air, and my mom comes out of nowhere. I don't know where she was. She comes over and yanks me straight up in the air, and pulls me away, and I look down, and here's that scorpion with that little tail just sticking up, ready to go, you know, and it scared me flat to death. I have never been stung by a scorpion, but I can just tell you, I got close enough, I don't ever want to experience that. 
And those of you that have been stunned, can you imagine five months of torment just over and over again? I mean, it's no wonder that the scripture says that people wanted to die. They didn't want to live, but somehow death would elude them and they, they weren't even able to take their own lives. This is a horrible situation. And as if the, the physical pain being inflicted on them is not enough, just the psychological torment. I mean, do you see the description of what they look like? They have human faces. Who knows how big they are? They may be bigger than, than a, a regular locust would be, but they have human faces. They have teeth like lions. They have long flowing hair. I mean, this sounds like something straight out of a horror movie. And they're tormenting people. These are the worst demonic creatures that have been kept in this pit. Now, let me just, as a, as a little aside here, say we do have, the reality is that there are demons at work in the world that we live in today. And I know we can go so far as to, you know, there's always one lurking around a corner. You, you can go nuts on that stuff, okay? You can get really weird. And we said at the beginning of Revelation, we're not going to get weird, okay? But can I just be, just offer some pastoral advice to you? Don't mess around with the demonic. It is real. I, I was watching the, the Cowboys game last Sunday night. I don't know if any of you saw this. In the middle of a football, it's a football game. And one of the commercials was about a new show about exorcisms, and it showed these children that were demon-possessed and needing to have demons driven out of them. It's, it's a TV show. And we look at that stuff, and some people are like, oh, it's just entertainment. Let, let me just encourage you. Just, just don't go there. Just don't expose yourself to that. I mean, that, it's real. And I know we can, you know, like I said, kind of go so far that we're, we're just being weird about it. But we can also ignore the fact that, that this is serious stuff, we need to stay away from it. All right, let's read the rest, or almost the rest of the chapter. 12 through 19 says, the, the first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still to come. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates the color of fire and of sapphire and sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads. And the fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of the mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. These angels that were bound, it says at the great river Euphrates, I believe are fallen angels. There's no other place where it talks about angels being bound. So these, again, are um, demons, I guess would be the way that we would say that. And they are, are given the power to set free um, this 200 million uh, army, and some would read this and, and, and say, you know, uh, this is talking about China. You know, they're the only ones that could put 200 million in an army. I, I think this is literally speaking to demonic creatures again, just like we saw the locusts. It's a similar thing. Uh, in Jude 1.6, it says, uh, And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting change for the judgment on the great day. So they have been bound, they're set free, and, and they're free to kill a third 
of humankind. That's about, at this point, roughly you take away rapture of the church, those that have died from previous plagues. We're talking about 1.5 billion people, roughly, that are going to die. I mean, this is, this is awful stuff. Um, and then you get to the end of the chapter, and I'll close with this, verses 20 and 21. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood which cannot see or hear or walk nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. This is heartbreaking to me. Again, why did God bring these plagues? Yes, to punish sin, but also to turn up the heat to cause people to repent, to cause people to turn back to him. And surely there were some who did, but the vast majority, in spite of what God is doing, they refuse to turn back to him. And that breaks my heart. It also makes me ask the question that I asked early on, what's it going to take for us? And what does it take to get our attention? To cause us to turn back to God in repentance. What will that take for you today? Is that the step that you need to take? Somebody today that says, you know, quite honestly, I've been walking a path away from God and I just need to get back. I need to get right. You know, that word repentance is, literally means to turn around. If you're walking one direction, it's to turn back around and turn toward God. Is that the step? for you to take today, a step of repentance, a step of turning back to God. And we want to give you an opportunity to do that, whether that means turning to Christ for the first time in faith and trusting Him and asking Him to save you from your sins, or whether that means, no, I'm a child of God and I know that, but I've begun to walk away from God. And I need to repent. I need to turn around and come back to Him. That's my prayer, is that through God's kindness the bible says that it's the kindness of god that leads us to repentance that 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 will draw us back to him let's pray lord i continue to pray that you will do whatever is necessary in our lives each one of us to draw us to you if there are things lord that are causing us to walk away lord do whatever it takes to bring us back My prayer today, Lord, is that we are able to, or willing, not just able, we are able, but but that we are willing to submit to you and follow you and trust you completely. In your name we pray. Amen.